Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I'm somebody who should probably have these quick little quips known sooner than I do. Um, a former hollowed-out jack-o'-lantern come to life? I'm a former hollowed-out jack-o'-lantern come to life to avenge the death of a local farmer. <laughs> I what? Currently, stay-at-home dad. <laughs> We're a married couple who's discussed literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max to a poem. We discuss it a bit and possibly use it as a springboard to discuss issues that we are passionate about or personal stories from our lives. And the boys are now asleep. So let's talk. Okay. So we had a show in the can for Halloween. But you didn't like it. And, well... <laughs> It it was uh it was still fiction. It was we might we might still wind up showing this at some point. So I don't want to uh, poop all over it. Um, <laughs> but it was just that it was a it was flash fiction. It was short. I was able to right. I didn't have to defer to you or not defer, but I didn't have to ask you to help me understand it. So it wasn't. It was readily apparent. Yes, it, it ought- to me. So I couldn't. There weren't many things for me to ask about it. Interestingly, I taught that story in my class today. Mm-hmm. Oh. And there were several different interpretations. It might be that you and I are just easily aligned in our thinking mm-hmm. in prose. Okay. Or also that because we, of the that fact we, that maybe it was an, an, a couple that had had some years on what your class would have had. Yeah. That's possibly that. Yeah, want, that's possible. I don't want to give away too much just in case we do wind up doing it. But okay. it was it was the short story or short like literally the flash fiction yours and who was it by? Mary Robinson. Yeah. And we we recorded that a couple well, we recorded that back in a month be- ago? Yeah, the beginning of September, I think. But okay, anyways, but you but then, you you hit upon something. You got lit up this past weekend. Um just a couple of days ago actually. Okay. As you know, Dana Levin is one of my mentor and friends. I follow her on all of her social media stuff. Mm-hmm. And she just posted this um, poem by Federico Garcia Lorca mm-hmm. that I had forgotten about, which is amazing because I spent actually a month of my life reading Lorca alone. In Spain. Didn't, I mean, you were in. Oh, I wasn't actually in Spain when I was reading Lorca. That kind of seems to be the place to do that. <laughs> I know, right? No, I did also spend a summer in Barcelona, but. I, uh, no, I was reading Lorca in Fairfax, Virginia, mm. where I was getting my MFA. Which is the, which is the Barcelona of Northern <laughs> Virginia. It wouldn't have been proper necessarily to read Lorca in Barcelona either. It would have been, it would have yeah. been most proper to read him in Granada. Yes. Um, cause he's an Andalusian poet, uh, from Southern Spain, uh, which has a slightly different culture than uh than all of the regions of spain have uh, different have. cultures from each yeah, other yeah very well not entirely different culture but um obviously there are similarities in some in some of the language that they mm-hmm. share but uh each of the regions are quite rich in what they offer culturally mm-hmm. speaking so i'm raising the fact that Lorca is an andalusian poet because it was so deeply embedded in his identity of self and also of as author mm-hmm he liked to align himself with the Arab and the Arab Andalusian past in really? some ways. Yes, he saw the Catholic conquest of the Iberian Peninsula as a tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, a tragedy in its loss of culture, 
um, of the um, Arab influence wasn't that, it, that was so strongly there. But wasn't it a Catholic reconquest? Yeah. Okay. Um, but he saw the sort of infusion of Arab culture and language and architecture um, as a deeply beautiful thing mm-hmm. um, and Catholic ideologies and aesthetics to be less soulful in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And I do use the word soulful purposefully since his idea about art had to do very much with spirituality, but not necessarily Catholic spirituality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a believer in the idea of duende. And to understand Lorca, you really have to understand the concept of duende, which is considered the kind of, a kind of spirit of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from the earth, you get both great creation mm-hmm. and he believed... Power? Yeah, artistic power, mm. the artistic power of creation, right? But you also get death and the fear of mortality. Um, from the earth springs all of this beauty, uh, food, things that bring life. And things go back into the earth. Exactly. So it's a kind of dualistic spirit. And the idea of duende is that the artist, and artist I'm using in a very broad form, Mm -hmm. visual arts, dance, Dance. especially music and dance, he believed, Um, but also the writer was a kind of medium through which duende might flow. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that the spirit of creation was not aligned with logic, with proper rhetoric, with consciousness in its limiting forms. Mm -hmm. That, for example, so one of the things that uh, Lorca was a champion of was the folk arts of southern Spain, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the gypsy ballads. which he grew up hearing. Uh, he was in a kind of agricultural area, and uh, he was born to a, a wealthy farmer. Mm-hmm. And um, he grew up hearing these the songs of the gypsies and, uh, you know, listening to their music and watching them dance. And he thought that there was real substance to what they were doing in terms of aesthetics, mm-hmm. um, that he saw it as a kind of high art form in a way that it hadn't ne- necessarily been received yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that the gypsies were in some ways tr- channeling the spirit of Duende more easily or with... Greater aplomb. Yeah, with more verve, I guess, than people who... Were constrained by Catholicism? Yeah, I guess so. So when I begin to think about a poem that would be good for Halloween mm-hmm. um, or the Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. which is often considered a time in which the spirits come out, mm-hmm. the ghouls, the spirit, uh, the spiritual world. But also it's a time of harvest, right? Of mm-hmm. the creative things that have been made over the summer uh, in terms of food and there's wine and revelry and all, and all of this. So I was trying to think of a poem that might show this. Were you trying to think of one or you saw Dana Levin's poem? I, in, in the back of my mind, I, I had been thinking about this for a while. Okay. What poem should I, should I do? I considered doing an elegy by Jericho Brown, which mm. I still want to do at some point. Okay. Um, I considered a number of other things, but then when Dana posted this, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, 
Lorca. How did I forget about Lorca? That's perfect. Um, he was one of my very first and deepest poetry loves. Okay. So uh, I find it kind of astonishing that I would have forgotten him. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hearkening back to an earlier self uh, when I found it. So it was really a pleasure for me then to sit down and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the poem that uh, Dana posted was Gesela of the Dark Death, um, which is a, 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 a version of the poem that's been translated by Robert Bly. So yeah, the one that I'm more interested in is this one translated by Catherine Brown, Huzzle of Dark Death. Uh, real quick, Robert Bly of Iron John fame? Oh yes, that Robert Bly. And Robert Bly kind of annoys me, even though he is the one to bring us Lorca in a more popular and accessible form. Mm -hmm. Um Earlier, people who tried to translate Lorca, like Ted Hughes actually tried to translate Lorca. I don't Lorca. know who Ted Hughes is. Uh, he is an English poet and was uh, married to Sylvia Plath. Okay, I'm familiar with her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and he said that Lorca cannot be Englished. Mm. Um, but he can be Americaned. <laughs> well, Robert Bly was like, that's not going to stop me. <laughs> uh, but also, Robert Bly, um, beyond this uh, masculine identity, cult that he had going on also uh was a deep image poet he was interested in the unconscious as a medium of creativity okay uh, and, well yeah and, because he was i what little i know i only know robert bly i did, actually didn't know he was a poet i just know iron john and i know he's all about the jungian thing so if you're talking about subconscious or yeah, it, it was a movement to help men reclaim their masculinity. Yeah, because, because you, the, you the, ladies were stripping us of it. and <laughs> I don't know that that's I necessarily... I don't know like, what... I honestly like have paid li very little attention to that. I shouldn't be making fun of it because I don't deeply understand it. My my, my sort of like knee-jerk reaction is to roll my eyes. I, was, I uh, was interested in it because the person who introduced me to Iron John um, also introduced me to Punk... Uh, America's really America's Secret Wars in Central America. Uh, all this information. Oh, okay. Bukowski. Stuff you love. Yeah, all this stuff got dumped. Well, I'm not a not big fan Bukowski. of Bukowski now, yeah. <laughs> but when I was a teenager, he rocked. <laughs> I know teenage boys love Bukowski. Yeah, grown men liking Bukowski. Mm. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, Iron John was a part of this. I remember of, of this collection of stuff I read. Uh, I'm Iron, the Iron John one just kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. I'm like, I don't, did it even then? Even then, because I'm like, well, well, one, Harry Man Beast giving me lectures on life that I should learn from fairy tales of Harry Man Beasts. But the the idea, e even then, I'm like, no, nah, men are kind of the ones doing most of the damage. I'm, I don't need to. He also gave me another book called Back to Patriarchy. I'm like, mm, uh... no. And I read that. I'm like, no. Again, this is all. All of those things are of a kind, though, aren't they? I mean, I know that I know that you were initially attracted to punk because of its subversion of, of, of the dominant paradigm, right? But then, then coupled with this whole masculinity, I'm like, no, the masculinity is the is the paradigm. paradigm. Yeah, so I, it was, um, you know, he was my sensei, but this is where we broke ranks. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really considered uh, uh, linking those things together but through this person's not just aesthetics but 
obviously value system one can and and given that th- this person profoundly intelligent and advanced because we're talking about middle school that he was doing oh, this oh wow really yeah. well i mean i Eighth actually grade is when i hooked up okay. with him or he hooked up and then I-, I then forgive him yeah well no the the iron john and the back back to patriarchy came actually after high school I heard him reference it. I read it. I read a couple of chapters. I dumped the book. I was already done because by that time I was doing other things. But do you think it's also because you have never really associated yourself with the quote unquote traditional guys guy kind of masculinity? Um, like that's never been your shtick. You're never like I'm a tough guy. You never. You've. Ne- you've ne- that, all, I have. I have tried to project that a couple of times as all boys. And do. insecure men do. Yeah. So at types of in times of insecurity, sure, I've <laughs> I have gone back into the into that shtick. Sometimes justice looks a lot like revenge. <laughs> Anyhow, you said you said Robert Bly, and I'm like, I do know that name, but mm-hmm. not as a poet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I, I he doesn't bother me as a poet. It's it's the Iron John thing that I'm like. <laughs> but that's the only thing I know I know him for. But it's a very Bly is a very. Anyways, press on. Oh, well, just that his translation, I thought was a little bit, a little bit wordy. It's the, it's the translation that's up on poets.org. So it's probably more accessible than this one Mm -hmm. uh, that I like better. Um, But his is um, a little bit more wordy um, and, and switches a couple of words that I disagree with, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's neither here nor there. We can talk about that a little later. We're just going to do just the Catherine Brown translation. We're going to be talking about primarily the Catherine okay. Brown translation. I think I'll pro- I might make some reference to Bly, but um, but I'd like I'd like for us to focus on this particular translation, so which I for the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is "Gazel of Dark Death" by Federico Garcia Lorca. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number thirteen. Gazal? Gazal. Gazal. Gazal, I think is how you say it. Gazaltov? <laughs> no. It's an it's an Arabic word, so I am absolutely mispronouncing it because I do not know a lick of Arabic. Or maybe it's derivative of the Persian the ancient Persian and Babylonian word Gozers and Gozer the Garzarian. And <laughs> you're just Do we have references to <laughs> Zul and Clortho? No. No. <laughs> Uh, it's a Persian form that's actually pretty strict in uh, in its metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually in couplets. It's usually a poem of... It is Persian. Yeah, it's Persian. Oh, you said Persian. I'm sorry. I went with Babylonian. Never mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll be quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's usually... It's, in, it's strict in its what? Metrical form. Metrical form. Okay. Um, and is usually in couplets. Uh, it's usually a poem that is either or or a con- combination of... Religious ecstasy or erotic ecstasy. Oh. Um, and uh, it has a couple of neat uh, elements to it. One is that the poet has to refer to themselves by name uh-huh. in the poem um, at some point, usually toward the end. Um, and another one is that uh, each of the couplets, it's thought of that the huzzle is formed like sort of like a pearl necklace in that each of the couplets, um, although they are speaking to the overall theme mm-hmm. they are not sequential in any sort of narrative way oh um and they sort of make the, associative leaps 
between them, meditating on love or God or that sort of thing. So if you just take a look at this poem, it is clearly not following the metrical system of the chazal. <laughs> um, there's no, there's, there are no um, couplets. It, 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 it doesn't follow it at all. In terms of in terms of form, mm -hmm. um, she the translator um, is using chazal um, as opposed to uh, gacela. Um, gacela is simply the Spanish word for chazal. Okay. Yeah. Um, so gacela is is the actual is part of the actual title. The actual title in Spanish is gacela de la muerte oscura, chazal of dark death. At any rate, um, I'd like to read this for you. If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com. Click on the show notes tab along the top, and then look for show number 13. So that'll help you read along with us as Danielle does this. Chazal of Dark Death by Federico Garcia Lorca I want to sleep the sleep of apples far away from the uproar of cemeteries. I want to sleep the sleep of that child who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. I don't want to hear that the dead lose no blood, that the decomposed mouth is still begging for water. I don't want to find out about grass-given martyrdoms or the snake-mouthed moon that works before dawn. I want to sleep just a moment, a moment, a minute, a century. But let it be known that I have not died, that there is a stable of gold in my lips, that I am the west wind's little friend, that I am the enormous shadow of my tears. Wrap me at dawn in a veil, for she will hurl fistfuls of ants. Sprinkle my shoes with hard water so her scorpion's sting will slide off. Because I want to sleep the sleep of apples and learn a lament that will cleanse me of earth. Because I want to live with that dark child who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. I'm, um, do I'm you want sure, me to read it again? Um, well, we'll do the second reading okay. later. Um, I'm sure there's many references here you'll explain to me. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that you should know is that uh, Lorca was in deep conversation with uh, the surrealists. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Of, of that time. So. Oh, um, um. Dolly, Dolly, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, absolutely. Duh, okay. Um, um, he, uh, Lorca died in 1936. Um, well, to say die is... is, is <laughs> he was executed. He was executed by Franco. Oh. Yeah. So that's another reason why you might have picked this, this poem, Fascism on the Rise Here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, reading through this poem now, I have a completely different feeling toward it than I did when I read it back in 2005, mm -hmm. when I was uh, finishing up my MFA. Um, then I think uh, there are similarities to the way I feel about it. I then was feeling, I was deeply depressed and, uh, was very, 
pensive just about my life and the trajectory of my life there. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a very, for lack of a better word, a self centered um, reading of this, mm-hmm. um, in which I have always felt a kind of kinship with Lorca, his love of metaphor, mm-hmm. um, and his love of. There's something about the poems that always feel a little metaphysical. There's a, It feels like it's almost a dreamscape. It moves by associative leap uh, rather, rather than, and associative leap and symbol and metaphor rather than by um, straightforward logic, which has always appealed to me just mm-hmm. generally. And um, he died very young. Um, 38. Yeah. I mean... I mean, what he accomplished, I mean, by the time he died, I, I think he had something like 17 plays and like nine books of verse and everybody around him talked about what a whirlwind of creation he was at all times. It's not that he just wrote plays and he just wrote poetry. He also sang. He also, uh, you know, danced. He did music. I mean, there was... He was like this force of creativity. He was a conduit for Duende. He absolutely was, or that was everybody's perception around mm-hmm. him. And so, um, not that I necessarily thought of myself as as like a Lorca because I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that powerful. Um, but if there ever was an embodiment of the idea of Orpheus, I think it would have been Lorca. Really, creativity, song, verse music martyrdom martyrdom but also death and darkness being able to go into the underworld Mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking and pull out um and to and to come out singing Mm. right um and and now when i look at this what i see is more anxiety uh than i do he's still embracing creativity he's still embracing art um but this was written this is in one of the last in one of his last books Mm. this was written in the years before he died in the years yeah in the years in the years that franco was already tearing things apart and right before he himself was executed his brother-in-law who had stepped in as the mayor of Granada mm-hmm. was executed, mm. uh, was assassinated. Um, that actually the, during, during that time, the mayor of Granada, I, I forget if he'd been removed or executed before it and nobody ran for the post. Yeah. So they did not have a mayor for months because nobody would step up and do the job because they are afraid of being executed and his, brother-in-law stepped up and was promptly executed. And I think just a week later, Lorca himself was executed. And I think that there is something about, I think it was, I mean, this is a a horrible way to say it, but Franco would have wanted Lorca executed because Lorca was an intellectual and was highly creative and beloved by Spanish people mm-hmm. because he had taken their art, their folk art and their song and their language, and he had elevated it to international legitimacy. F- 
fame, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was no longer just sort of a regional thing. People looked to Spain as a kind of cauldron of creativity, mm -hmm. and the people loved him for it, right? So not only was it an intellectual and a poet and a playwright and, and all of this, um, so somebody who was an innovative thinker, and not just an innovative thinker in a kind of up intellectual way, but emotional way, mm -hmm. right? He liked to lead um, the people into contemplating the mysteries of life, death, sex, um, the um, kind of unconsciousness that still clouds childhood. Mm -hmm. He was interested in sort of uh, the childlike perception of the world, of viewing the world as new in mm -hmm. some way. Um, and if you think about uh, ideologies of fascists, they do not want mystery. No. They do not want people to they have, get in they, touch with no. their emotions. Oh, no, they need black and white. Yes, absolutely. They, 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 they not need only, absolutes. They not only push away mystery in their own ideologies, but they will kill it. Mm -hmm. and, and they did so. So killing Lorca. It probably didn't help that he was gay also. Oh yeah. I mean that, no, I mean that, that, that was also, a, but, but beyond that, mm -hmm. um, that was, that was one of the supposed reasons that they executed him. Um, he also had socialist leanings. Mm -hmm. Lorca did. So, um, those, those two things in combination. Um, but he also was a real leader in the Spanish world of that time through his art. And that must've been terrifying. Yeah. He was seen as an opponent mm -hmm. uh, uh, of some kind. And in this poem here, I, I feel like I can... You said you saw the anxieties. Yeah, a kind of anxieties about the things that were happening around him in a way that I, I wouldn't have read it earlier, being less sort of politically minded as I was. Also, America was different then. Also, America was different then, yes. Um, but there's so much here that I feel like if people are being assassinated and disappearing all over the place, oh, this is also tragic. They've never found Lorca's body. Mm -hmm. He was executed with several other people at once and supposedly put in a ditch. Right. Yeah. You you can't. Uh, um, totalitarian regimes cannot have a um... mementos of the people they have killed. Right. They can. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't have them. It's like the same way. Nobody has any idea. Or mm -hmm. well, the Soviets. Um, there were some whispers that they had found um, Genghis Khan's burial site, mm -hmm. and the Soviets like laid waste to the entire area. Oh, really? Yeah, you can't, you can't even let them have any kind of cultural icons. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, the erasure, the the attempt at the, the erasure, erasure. That's of the him, correct word. Yes. Right. Um, but but Lorca was already too big in Spanish imagination as well as international mm -hmm. imagination. He cannot. He never has been silenced. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, let's, let's head into the poem itself so I can show you what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I want to sleep at the sleep of apples. Big question mark. <laughs> Is that just something going back to your saying about Duende things from the earth returning to the earth? That's the only connection I can make right now. Oh, well that's lovely. I think that that probably works. Like an apple rotting on the ground, ready to go back in. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, that, that there's a kind of an apple rotting on the ground waiting to go back in. I mean, there's also whenever you have apples, and, and though Lorca didn't like the, the Catholic uh, conquest of Spain, Spain is deeply Catholic. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, saying apple 
um, is still going to have uh, the kind of connotation to um, the fall. Right, you know, creation, and, myth, and fall. Right, and, and all the psychosexual connotations associated with, with fruit, uh, especially in that particular uh, religious mythos. Mm-hmm. So um, the, it has the potential to be um, the apple of the fall in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, but, but before we go any further, I want to say this isn't going to make sense sense. He doesn't want the, it to make sense okay. sense. What are the feelings you get from it? He wants to evoke an experience of emotion. This is what surrealism does too, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. To mix up um, the things that we think of in conscious ways and and place them next to each other and juxtapose them and bend them in ways that makes us feel sort of uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um, and or evoke certain emotional responses in us. So what emotional responses do you, do you see in this first stanza? Well, the first stanza? Sure. Um, well, I, I, I guess I, I... Well, the next line, far away from the uproar of cemeteries, what I believe is basically I want to go to sleep, but not in the way that everybody else, basically, or, or sleep or die, but not in the way of the well-ordered. It's, mm. just, it's just the word uproar that throws me. But yeah. there's this whole uh, rigid row of cemeteries, which is very orderly, very everybody's, and there's hierarchies there. Um, yeah, and we usually think of cemeteries as as quiet places. Mm-hmm. The word uproar suggests a kind of hugeness of sound. Yeah. Right? Um, Bly says the busyness of cemeteries. Um, and and I think that you could do do either. For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Daniela Max. The poem we're discussing today is Gosel of Dark Death by Federico Garcia Lorca. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and look for show number 13. When you think about cemeteries as being uproarious and busy, um, then I think that there are a couple of interpretations. One, um, when... When Lorca was, t- when Lorca talks about death, he isn't always talking about death. Death, mm-hmm. he means the kind of death of the spirit. Like he saw people who were living that he saw as dead, mm-hmm. right? Like that they have, they were not in touch with the spirit of the earth. They weren't in touch with their emotional selves. Um, that there were people kind of walking around spiritless. Mm-hmm. In some ways, the uproar of cemeteries. So rows and rows of, uh, it might be rows and rows of people who are living but sort of dead inside. But it could also just be in the idea of cemeteries that the kind of loudness of the people who are dying and dying and dying and dying um, feels like a kind of cacophony mm-hmm. in the poet's mind. Like if your brother-in-law is, is assassinated, if the people are around you, well, you keep, have a civil war happening. Exactly. And, yeah. The uproar of cemeteries um, becomes a different... And a lot of people like to think of Lorca as being apolitical. So I may be tipping my, but, you know, he did have socialist leanings. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that a lot of times. I'm sorry, but a genuine artist who's into filling spirituality is going to just latently, inherently mm-hmm. be against fascism. Right. <laughs> Anybody with this creative of a mind. Yeah, it's like saying, you know, I don't want to be political, but that Hitler, yeah. man, <laughs> that guy's overreaching. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to be subtle in his mind, right? 
So there are a couple ways that you could could do, but the uproar of cemeteries means that there that there's a kind of cacophony there, like he's thinking about it, right? It's calling and or bothering him in some way. Right? I want to sleep the sleep of that child mm-hmm. who wanted to cut his heart out in the sea, and that sounds like that is a reference to what? I mean, is it a Spanish folklore? Is it a, a oh, interesting? It's um, an old no, saying. No, well, uh, throughout this book that this comes from, um, there is the sort of uh, uh, view of the child and in a lot of his in a lot of his um, palms there's this sort of motif of the child and I think there are a couple of things happening there that the child have that children have um, sort of natural associative leaves to think I mean think about Mercer when he's talking about the mythologies that he's making he's creating yeah, yeah. that he's, he create I mean it just totally floors me sometimes the things that he he says you know like I mean earlier what oh mama in winter the spiders spin shadows, and in summer, the flowers turn to birds. His you know, whole mythology around that one stuffed snake he has, yeah, drivel snake, drivel what, snake. What was yesterday? Anyways, yeah, he had a, yeah. He told me it eats stars. Like there's all kinds of like crazy riff riffing that mm-hmm. children just do naturally with language, right? They play with the language. That's how you know. And so the figure of the child as not just a symbol of like innocence, but a symbol of, of real creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes through a lot in Lorca's work, but here's the part where I'm sort of interested in. That child is one translation. The actual Spanish line is aquel niño, that boy. Mm. Um, and, and in Spanish, there isn't really a gender neutral word for like child, is there? Nietos? Niños. Niños. Here's the thing. Aquel niño Mm -hmm. is also the thing he referred to his lover in letters to friends or in that that boy, that boy I'm singing. Aquel niño. (laughs) Right? Um, Which, you know, I just see as like a a regular sort of diminutive that you use with anything. That, you know, hi hi boy, um, my boyfriend. Hey baby. Hey boy toy. (laughs) Right, Toy like there's, that there's something about that that I that I I just want to think um, of that child is is nicely neutral, but um, aquel niño makes me think maybe, and I could be totally reaching here, but I think I want it to be um, this a reference to a lover okay. uh, that he that he was with, um, or it's just part of his larger mythology about the child. <laughs> Okay. In the rest of his work, but I want to sleep the sleep of that child or that boy who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. And it is in past tense, so we know he didn't cut his heart out on the sea, mm-hmm. right? He wanted to. He had that desire, that passion, that hunger to sort of spend himself in this passionate way. Like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to bleed my heart out on the sea. Or Lorca landed himself a sailor. <laughs> And landlocked that boy. <laughs> that boy wanted just to go. Who cut his heart out yeah. on the sea. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I don't want to hear that the dead lose no blood, that the decomposed mouth is still begging for water. I don't want to find out about grass-given martyrdoms or the snake-mouthed moon that works before dawn. There is menace all over this. Yeah. Snake mouth. Okay, so the, the moon is open. It's ready to bite down on something. And swallow the stars. 
grass-given martyrdoms. Uh, these are things that like that radiate ideas, or but again, it, this is language, and it's surrealism from another language. So I don't know. Now, in this case, oh, okay. Uh, in this case, I prefer Bly's translation of that particular line. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not hear about the torture sessions the grass arranges for. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? That has a completely different meaning like that. It is that. much more wordy. It's much more wordy, but I think that he is getting at Lorca's perception of fascism's everywhereness. Mm-hmm. If the grass is arranging for torture sessions, things have gotten very bad. Yeah. Right? Um, and that this was written not long before his own death, I think that he would have felt that anxiety. Um, that as a leader in Spain, he would have been marked uh, in a lot of ways, right? Um, or the snake-mouthed moon that works before dawn, which makes me feel like you've got a moon that's, that's out there swallowing the stars. I want to sleep just a moment, a moment, a minute, a century. Now, when you said the first time you read this, you were very um, solipsistic. You were very, it was very you. You're in, yeah. So when I... Yeah, when you said that, I checked. I'm like, yeah, me too. As a parent, I know. <laughs> I still think that now. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the lines that stays true for me. Where I, uh, you know, with everything that's been that's going on right now, politically, politically or familiar, or just I'm like, oh, yeah, or that that like, yeah. I used to say, like, I just want to fall asleep and just sleep for about ten years yeah. and wake up when things are possibly better, or that at least my batteries were charged. Yes, right. Like, there's a certain exhaustion to all of this, and so that I I deeply. That I that line I have deep compassion for, and I feel the same now as I did then, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but let it be known that I have not died, that there is a stable of gold in my lips. Stable is where I'm not. Okay, Bly's uh, version is a golden manger inside my lips. So now we're coming back to, re- I mean, when we hear re- manger. Yes, I mean, that's, oh, absolutely. Is that in Spanish? Is that Well, no, no, by English. So manger is, mm-hmm. we don't say, manger only means one thing. Now. Oh, it only means baby Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing. Sweet that, baby Jesus. That nobody's ever like, oh, could you go check on the horses in the yeah, manger? Yeah, yeah. Put out some more <laughs> hay in the manger. Yeah, no, no, we don't do no, that. Nobody says that they only use it. It's where, it's where a, a, uh, a very poor deity is born. Indeed, stable of gold instead of manger doesn't have the religious connotation, mm-hmm. but it still has the sort of like uh, image of the the horse. So there's a wildness mm-hmm. um, that's been contained, right? A manger of gold in my lips. In, yeah. Okay. It's like sort of ready for a horse. And, and again, this is not going to make sense sense. Right. Right. If you're going to make a surplus painting... Yeah. A, a profusion of golden hay from a mouth. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you're fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I, I'm sort of, I am the West Wind's little friend. Okay. So I know that West Wind is, uh, he, Spain is in the Mediterranean. So Zephyr and West Wind is the good wind, the wind of good omens. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also referencing uh, Ode to the West Wind. I don't know what that, oh. By Shelley. However, Beyond the possible Shelley reference here, I think ideologies surrounding a Western wind has to do with ideas of freedom, ideas of, like, 
Lorca was actually quite interested in America at some point in his life, and he actually came to and lived in New York for a very short time and was friends with Langston Hughes. Was he pals with Hemingway? I know Hemingway didn't have... Hemingway's machismo had a problem with homosexuals, but I mean, Spain. I don't know. He was way into Spain. Oh, I know. He was way into Spain. I don't, I don't know about that, that connection. Um, all I know is that Lorca came to New York and was terribly, terribly disappointed oh, with really? America. Okay. But I think that he had this idea that it was a space for like freedom and therefore it would be a space of great creativity. But what he found was, you know, America treating one of its greatest poets, Langston Hughes, horribly. horribly. Yeah. Right. And Can't was eat in the front of the restaurant. Right. He was confounded. Yeah. Um, as to that. Like, I think that he had a kind of idea of America that was shattered uh, by coming here. Um, but um, I am the West Wind's little friend because there's also a certain um, ideology surrounding the idea of West as being the unknown right? Mm -hmm. The quote unquote new world, that gross term. But there's also, um, you know, the, the westward um, direction of early mythologies of explorers and, and, and people journeying into the underworld mm -hmm. by going west, mm -hmm. the world of monsters and, yeah. and creatures. Atlantis so. was to the west, everything was to the west. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he is the unknown's little friend hmm. is another way oh, to consider okay. that, right? Which he is. <laughs> Um, and, and to make the, the wind so great, to make himself so small. I love you, Western men, wind, mm. right? I am the enormous shadow of my tears. That's something I'm like, well, I'm not going to fight that. I, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a, uh, there can be no literal manifestation or, or literal, um, okay, yeah, that, that sounds like a very surrealist thing. Mm -hmm. I am the shadow. Of my tears. Of, of the liquid I produce from my own body. Right. Yeah. Like it. Well, the sadness, um, or the, the tear, you don't know if there's tears from anger or from beauty or from deep sadness, but the, the emotionality of the self, right? So I am the shadow of my tears. I, I am, I am produced by my own emotionality. So the tears in front and he's what remains behind is mm -hmm. the only way I can come mm -hmm. to that. He follows his tears. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things I'm like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I think that sounds beautiful. I will allow, <laughs> I can, it kind of, it resonates something to me. So, right. okay, I'll, I'll let that happen. Okay. Wrap me at dawn in a veil, for she will hurl fistfuls of ants. What? I'm already, I, that makes me happy. I don't know, but go on. <laughs> I just, that sounds so cruel. <laughs> yes. Uh, sprinkle my shoes with hard water. Yeah. So her scorpion sting will slide off. Okay. Is that like an old, is that? Is that something he learned from the gypsies? If you if you do really hard mineral water on your shoes, the, <laughs> you're trying to make too deflects, much sense of this. It deflects scorpions things. How how does it make you feel? Lorca's using contradiction. I'm good with the first two sentences of that, or the first two lines. The second two, mm, kind of gibbery. <laughs> Lorca is using contradiction throughout all of this to show both life and death at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there is buried in this, this kind of knowledge that his time may be coming close. Mm -hmm. And I may be reading too much into this, but to say, no, if you see your, if you see your country collapsing into sadistic order, not even chaos, a sadistic order, yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you could see we've, we've talked about 
what happens when they start forming death squads here in the U.S. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, I feel like we're on the we verge of We were nowhere of... near as far along as Spain was. But... Oh, I know. For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is Gazel of Dark Death by Federico Garcia Lorca. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number 13. But throughout, you see these reference to these, these things of death that seem alive, right? Mm-hmm. Including himself. Um, you know, I'm not dead. I'm just sleeping. I'm sleeping. I'm going to come back mm-hmm. is, is the reference of this, is the, is the thing that comes up over and over. And that leads us directly into the ending where we get the refrain. It's the first stanza, um, but it's slightly transformed. Mm-hmm. Because I want to sleep the sleep of apples and learn a lament that will cleanse me of earth. Because I want to live with that dark child who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. It's no longer I want to sleep the sleep of that child. I wanted, I want to live with that, that dark, dark child. child. And the child has become dark and I want to live is at the end of this. Hmm. That because I want to sleep the sleep of apples and learn a lament that will cleanse me of the earth. And, and, and lament is a big thing with yeah. gypsy music. Oh, okay. Um, and the idea I of duende. My, yeah, that I retract my, yeah. I did not uh, know where you were going. Of the idea of duende. Um, that there is a kind of mournfulness mm-hmm. in the expression of, of duende-charged creativity. So one of the famous... Um, instances or examples uh, that was given um, of sort of duende Mm -hmm. is that um, at a a flamenco festival, a young, beautiful woman got up and did all of the technically beautiful things that you can do in flamenco. Her form was perfect. She was exactly on time and she herself was graceful and wonderful. It was technical, but not soulful. Is that what? Yeah. And then, and then an old woman came up an old, old woman who could barely walk up onto the stage. And she spat a gypsy curse? No, she stood there for a moment and all she did was stomp once and threw her hand up and everybody's like, ah! (laughs) You know, like that the house came to tears because what it's supposed to be is an expression of sort of creative striving Mm -hmm. in the face of known death. Oh. That is what Duende is. Mm. Um, and so to have this old woman uh, powerfully sort of stamp out the, 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 with the most power that she could render um, at that particular moment was considered far more inspiring. Mm-hmm. So that the idea... Than this technically perfect... Exactly. Sanitized... Yes. Okay. That it's not supposed to be run through and run through and perfected and be made to be clinical exactly um that it has to have in it a kind of soul and a knowledge of life and impending death Hmm. both at once right so in this you're going to see lots of of imagery that uses that contradiction over and over and over and i think when i read this now um and you can see that in in many 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 of his poems 
Uh, it's throughout. But when I read it now, I feel like I read this thinking of Lorca, thinking of his own death and the way that he will survive it and the very fact that he wants to live. Um, and so now reading it, I find it very moving in a kind of middle-aged way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though the, he himself was younger yeah. than I am now when he died. Do you want to hear it one more time? Yes. If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com. Click on the show notes tab along the top and then look for show number 13. Puzzle of Dark Death by Federico Garcia Lorca I want to sleep the sleep of apples far away from the uproar of cemeteries. I want to sleep the sleep of that child who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. I don't want to hear that the dead lose no blood that the decomposed mouth is still begging for water. I don't want to find out about grass-given martyrdoms or the snake-mouthed moon that works before dawn. I want to sleep just a moment, a moment, a minute, a century. But let it be known that I have not died, that there is a stable of gold in my lips, that I am the west wind's little friend, that I am the enormous shadow of my tears. Wrap me at dawn in a veil, for she will hurl fistfuls of ants, sprinkle my shoes with hard water so her scorpion's sting will slide off. Because I want to sleep the sleep of apples and learn a lament that will cleanse me of earth because I want to live with that dark child who wanted to cut his heart out on the sea. Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is better. I have a lot of, I, well, not a lot of questions, but this is better than the other, other show we were going to do. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Let's go have some wine. Let's. Um, we have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discussed, a link to purchase the work, author information, or anything else we might thought was relevant. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or anything, shoot us a message by using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. Let's go drink some Spanish wine. Tempranillo? Is that what you call it? We have a couple of bottles of that left over from the wedding. Yes. I think it's Rioja, but I could be wrong. It's not. Oh. Um, it's well, Tempranillo. A good Temp Tempranillo would be great. Yes. Yeah. Anyhow, thank you so much for being Lit with us this week and listening in. And we hope you have a wonderful Halloween. Have a great seance or party or... Summoning of the great pumpkin. Or just staying at home to hand out candy. Full bars. Give out full bars. Of candy. Yeah. Full <laughs> bars of candy. Make a child's year. The kids need a lot of help this year. <laughs> Thank you for listening. 
Good night. Thank you. Good night. Gacela de, de la Muerte Oscura. Hmm? Gacela de la Muerte Oscura. Oh. Quiero dormir el sueño de las manzanas. Alejarme del tumulto de los cementerios. Quiero dormir el sueño de aquel niño que quería cortarse el corazón en alta mar. No quiero que me repitan que los muertos no pierden la sangre. Que la boca podrida sigue pidiendo agua. No quiero entrarme de los martirios que la hierba, ni de la luna con boca de serpiente que trabaja antes del amanecer. Quiero dormir un rato, un rato, un minuto, un siglo. Pero que todos sepan que no he muerto, que hay un establo de oro en mis labios, que soy el pequeño amigo del viento oeste, que soy la sombra inmensa de mis lágrimas, cubrirme por la aurora con un hielo, porque me arrojará puñados de hormigas y moja con agua dura mis zapatos para que resable la pinza de su alacrán, porque quiero dorme el sueño de las manzanas, para aprender un llanto que me limpie de tierra, porque quiero vivir con aquel niño oscuro que quería cortarse el corazón en Altamar. That works wonderfully for me. <laughs> <laughs>